Hi, this is Tony Silva, and this is uh, episode 139 of Two Teachers Talking. Usually here with Charles, but uh, Charles is off busy doing teacher things, other teacher things. And in this place we have... Allison Kitzman. Uh, from Kindai University, and uh, she's going to talk to us about uh, teaching pronunciation, because uh, it's, it's something that I don't really know a lot about. <laughs> so we got to get somebody in here who, who kind of knows what she's doing. Uh, but uh, I don't think we can start on that until we make a, just a couple of short comments. Uh, okay, so it's, you know, the it's that time of the year. It's uh, a little steamy. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, the, the semester is ending too. So that's the a, semester well, good news, is bad ending. news, huh? Yes. Yeah. So the semester is ending, but it and and so it is very very steamy, uh, yeah. and uh, it's a good semester to end too because yes. uh, it's uh, a lot of people are in a really tough way, and uh, you are in that category, aren't you? You've got like the worst of all possible worlds. Well, yes and no. This has been a real rough one, but I do have fewer students and fewer classes than many, so in that sense, I'm grateful. But. Uh, this is not as easy as last year when we were all online, all on Zoom. So I do alternating weeks going in to supposedly do face-to-face and then alternating at home or in the office online. But it's that going into class where we're supposed to be face-to-face, but half the students don't want to come in, which I totally understand. Um, And so I end up teaching half the class on Zoom and half the class or two or three or one person in the class at the same time. So is getting mm. that like getting that Zoom share screen in and making sure that I'm got that going and the projector is going and yeah. And even and then just the dynamic of having only two or three students in class by itself is yeah. challenging, right? Yeah. It's like uh, well, just and then when go you gotta home. do that simultaneously with another class. And, and just to clarify, because there might be some people in this situation too. So you've got to accommodate the students who are in the classroom, you've got to accommodate the students who are on at the Zoom. same time. You don't but you don't also need to prepare some kind of on demand correct class. Correct. It's all live. So just those two, okay. Yeah, it's all live. Good. And we call <laughs> For it that at least, right? Hybrid flex. So high flex. Hmm. And uh but in the sense of it's not on demand, so once it's over, it's over. But that in a thirty degree classroom, oh, I am very happy we're almost over. Two Understood. weeks. Woo-hoo. Understood. Understood. Okay, so um there we have it. So pronunciation, um, how do you want to start this? Well, um, a few episodes ago, I'm afraid that I did not record which one. You mentioned that I was kind of strict. You you implied that I was strict about pronunciation. And um, I thought this might have been a little bit misleading. Um, pronunciation may not be as important to me as you think I think it is. <laughs> But I think it's very misunderstood. So I kind of am here to plead my case and kind of maybe explain. And I think you're a good person to bounce this off of. Okay. So what kind of um, classroom experience do you have? Or what what is your understanding of teaching pronunciation here? Well, um, I've been, I've taught it from every angle, right? And so you can look at the curricula at different schools um, and uh, the specific types of classes um, and also activities like in addition to, so for example, coaching for speech contests and things like that. But um, in a very, very minor role in my general communication sure. classes. Sure. Um, but I also have taught for a number of years uh, specific pronunciation classes Mm-hmm. They were defining you know, for English majors pronunciation classes, and uh, I've also taught for a, a number of years dedicated um, pre- oral speaking, oral present, oral presentation. What do they call it? speech, speech and oral presentation class. Uh, done that for a number of years, in and, which you incorporated pronunciation, of course. Uh huh. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, it's yeah because it's it's dedicated speech right that's all part of it so yeah all aspects of of pronunciation and, and of course 
in addition to construction and slides and so forth and so on. But of course, pronunciation is a really big part of that. Um, and other classes in which some kind of oral presentation was a requirement. They think consider it maybe a four skills type class, but in a particular university, they might require um, some kind of um, a presentation be made by the students. And of course, presentations, I mean, a pronunciation was a part of that as well. Interesting, because I've all I've I've kind of done the same thing. I've taught dedicated classes, oral oral communication, um, four skills classes, et cetera, et cetera. But when I teach presentation or speech, I don't teach pronunciation unless, of oh. course, it's, um, you know, like I didn't understand that intonation or something, but it tends to be much more individual. I don't teach it as part of the course. Huh. Interesting. So right now, um, I am teaching in the business department, and I teach a, a group of students who are, for the most part, planning on studying abroad next year. They're all freshmen. This is the first semester. So getting them all kind of, mm, how do I say, in line so that they all, kind, they, they all come in at different levels, right? So there's a lot of kind of catching up and giving them a lot of those super basics of what they will need for <clears throat> real English <laughs> when they meet real people. Sure. Uh, and I, I think, yeah, you, you, you hit a couple of things right there because uh, you and I have talked about it and Charles and I have talked about yeah. needs analysis. And you talked about uh -huh. one, one thing, of course, the different levels that they've got. But also, of course, more key uh, is the fact that they will be uh, studying abroad next year. Yes. Yeah. And, and, a, and a la willing with the COVID. And all well, that. right. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of them, not a lot. In fact, it's less and less nowadays coming in with um, katakana English speech patterns. It used to oh, be. Oh, that's always hard, right? Twenty-five oh, years ago, and it was everybody with the superfluous vowels ando, sure. nexto, and um, the extended consonants. All of, <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> in the last, it's improved. Oh my gosh! Oh. Yes, so remarkably, but I still have some. So that was kind of what turned me on to that initially here. Um, but yeah, a little bit more about that later. So now really what I'm doing is I'm pre-teaching them to raise their awareness, uh, especially of what are called natural speech phenomenon. So that's linking, trimming, blending, for example, uh, things that they will hear or do hear now, DVDs, music, uh, even BBC English uh, <laughs> will have these natural things. And it's awareness for them when they're listening. So, hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you, you mentioned the, the listening part of it, too, because I, I have some notes for it that, that we'll maybe mention that a little bit later on. Mm. Um, but it's... Uh, especially for people who are maybe not accurate to say lower levels or lower performers. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. The uh, uh, a lot of times I think with pronunciation, the listening part kind of gets short shrift, but yes, you know, you have to remember that if the student can't hear it, they can't say it. <laughs> they right. can't reproduce something they can't right. hear in the first place. So well, the, the listening is uh really something that needs, I think, special attention mm. in, the, in the classroom, in the instruction. Yeah. And you mentioned to me, we were talking about this yesterday, and you were like, oh, you know, they're going to learn that over there, and they're going to come back with those things. And I'm like, that's actually another thing that I'm trying to prevent. Because, again, I get these students in two or three years uh, in other classes that I teach for the same program. And they're like, I'm a gonna, I wanna. And I'm like, oh, no, we're not supposed to use those. And it's the same thing as, as teaching, I don't know, like swear words and stuff. You know, you shouldn't be using wanna, gonna in your standard English the way you wouldn't use swear words. You need to know when and where to use those. So it's really a lot of um, awareness building. So can I ask you a question? Mm. I, I know that you got your master's in, in education, English education. Uh, did you ever have a pronunciation course? I mean, how to teach pronunciation or anything 
about this pronunciation? This was a really long time ago. <laughs> and if I had a course in pronunciation, I don't remember it. Ah, because I did. I studied at University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign under the uh, esteemed, wonderful Dr. Wayne Dickerson. And uh, he is known for his Stress in the Speech Stream series. Um, and wow, did I learn a lot all about pronunciation. And he has, and that, that was for us grad students, uh, how to teach. So his research turned me on to the fact of suprasegmentals being the most problematic. Suprasegmentals are those between the word issues, like katakana English, ando, next door. It ruins the rhythm. And so just to let you know, um, some people already know, in 2007, I wrote a paper kind of based on this idea. It was called the Cornfield Test, a study into the katakana effect and the intelligibility of Japanese pronunciation of English. And basically it asked, can the typical American, you know, someone from the cornfields like central Illinois, <laughs> where we all were, hence what we called the cornfield test, can any of those Americans or people with little or no knowledge, experience with Japanese speakers, can they understand the Japanese variety of English? And in my paper, it was specifically katakana ego, those uh, superfluous vowels. Short answer, nope. They could not understand. So... I don't focus on a lot of segmental, of phonemes, of sounds. But again, what are the problems in communication? So that's kind of where I'm coming from with this. Okay. So, but, uh, um, yeah, and again, like, so this is the, the, the students that you, uh, assume you had student recordings that you're playing for your subjects in, the North, in North America. Yeah. Uh, and the students who you recorded were just typical Japanese students. They weren't in a, in a study abroad pro preparatory program, or yeah. What kind? What kind of pr pronunciation training had they had at that, that at that time? Well, again, I don't want to go any. too much into the study because that could take a podcast in and of itself. Sure. sure. <laughs> um, but suffice it to say, uh, context or no. Um, yeah, the native speakers specifically had a problem with katakana ego. So that has been kind of my little thing. But it's not just katakana ego. I mean, you've had experiences where people don't understand um, English English. Well, I've had experiences where I don't understand English English. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple of beers with my Australian friends. I don't know what the hell they're saying. <laughs> the third beer in, I'm lost. I'm gone. Um and, you know, it's a little bit different than pronunciation per se, but, you know, mm. different accents and different dialects uh, are a whole nother, you know, rat's tail, rat, rat, king rat mm. uh, uh, tangle of things. But, yeah, sure. And, uh, and again, you talk about the cornfield, right, talking about uh, the typical American or Canadian and North American, yeah, typical yeah. North American. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, that's pretty hard to nail down. Uh, and for you know, how much experience that individual might have with any kind of international experience, either with mm -hmm. non-Americans, not non-English speakers visiting wherever it is that they are, or their own um, international travel, you know, travel to Europe and uh, here, you know, making themselves understood and listening to people with uh, non-native accents, what kind of exposure they have. So, uh, yeah, and I, and I had, for example, one friend uh, that uh, I met. He was, uh, he was from England, this, and I met him in Chicago. We were, mm -hmm. studied karate together. And um, I don't remember what part of England. Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, but not London, maybe a little bit north. Um, but not, he, he didn't sound Scottish. Manchester. Maybe I don't know, but uh, you know, pretty strong English accent. But in Chicago, um, to my knowledge, there was never a communication problem that that he ever mentioned. Right, it was English, you know. Um, but we had um, 
a summer camp, which went up into Wisconsin, and it was rural. And uh, we had the camp, so we broke broke out of the camp. We went for breakfast in the you know, tiny town, and uh, he's trying to order ham and eggs. <laughs> the waitress Simple enough. Has, has no idea what he's trying to say. Ham and eggs, ham and eggs, ham and eggs. Because he wants ham and eggs. And he, he caught it when he heard me. He sort of like, oh, I'm sorry, I want ham and eggs. <laughs> <laughs> and where was that? Wisconsin? This was Wisconsin, yeah. Okay. And and he's but, but yeah, hum, hum. Yeah, We don't know. Yeah, yeah, he's British. Hom, we don't know. If you, if you don't, if you haven't had contact with, you know, people from mm. England, hom has no meaning to you. Hom, mm. hom. It's, it's, it's what? That's not hum. It's not ham. What? What is a hom? What is a hom? Um, well, I hate <laughs> to say context uh, sure, does sure, contribute to a lot. And uh, shall I say common sense if you are a waitress yes, in a, uh, in a restaurant? But, and, but and okay, okay. <laughs> but, you know, like that dialect and accent and certainly not to put down um, what might be called world Englishes or the, the Japanese dialect. Um, I, it's not that at all. It's specifically the intelligibility. And that's my one concern. Um, and that's, again, kind of what I feel uh, needs to be taught when, if pronunciation is taught. So Paul, your your, your friend, your, your English friend, British friend, he wouldn't want or need to change his accent. I mean, he's a native speaker. But if he can't be intelligible, we need to just consider what, what those things are. And if we t- think about the, the Japanese or, or any other non-native uh, learner, uh, of English, they might actually have reasons for not wanting to perfect their L two accents. And yeah, I can I can see both ends of it. So, mm-hmm. like for example, like with Paul, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the next time he orders breakfast, he's going to say ham. Uh-huh. He is going to change it, right? <laughs> he and will, yeah. Just to, yeah, and so yeah, he is changing. And just like for us, when we come here, mm-hmm. we also need to relearn or learn the Japanese pronunciation of all the borrowed English words, right? Oh, yes. Because you oh, can't ask, go, go to yes. McDonald's and ask for a Big Mac. You're going to get the same look that the waitress gave Paul. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah bigu maku. <laughs> and you have to say it that way. Uh, so we have to learn that, that we True. have to learn Japanese pronunciation, even of the English words, right? Right, and right. so Ham, in, if he's back in Wisconsin, you know, he's going to have to put his finger on his nose. Ham. <laughs> uh, if, if he wants to eat. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, and with the other part that you said about the Japanese students. So sure, there's, um, in addition just to the general... Um, you know, the the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. The fear of excellence, uh, or at least you know, showing excellence mm. um, in the classroom. Uh, and you, there's also in you know, Charles and I've talked about this a lot of times, and of course in like culture classes all the time as well. Um, but the uh, within the Japanese culture, something of a stigma of being t- completely fluent in a foreign language, especially English, right? There you go. If you're too good, if you know, if it's a, there, there's, it's actually a, a, a negative thing. It's like, it's suspicious. Mm-hmm. It's suspect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, often, often learners don't want to perfect. They don't want a native Correct. accent, whether it's cultural, maybe affective pressures, um, either of those things. Um, they can resist that. And and that's that's a negative. Um, I on the flip side, I, I had a, a girlfriend in high school who she was the first of us to go on any exchange programs, and she was a year abroad in New Zealand. And she came back, and her entire senior year, she was speaking with a Kiwi accent. She refused to drop that new identity, and that's really another point about dialect and accent and it is identity just as much as i will always be a teacher um i i can't change that about myself or i don't choose to change that about myself and my girlfriend's identity and her she wanted to hold on to that kiwi exchange so badly so mm. here well, that, that happened to me but like not um not as a matter of identity in which way 
How um, did it happen to you? I, uh, this was um, after my very, very, very first year in Japan. Mm-hmm. I was here for one year uh, nonstop. And yeah, p- fairly difficult um, culture shock and also pretty hard reverse culture shock coming back. But um, most of my year, uh, I was teaching at an English conversation school and uh, pretty close friendship with uh, a guy from Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, well, it's not, you know, not a really big difference in the languages, but there, there's some distinct differences. Like, for example, the way that uh, Vancouverites, um, the sentences often end on an upward lilt. Like, like what do a you question. Mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Like a question, eh? <laughs> and um, so totally unconsciously, just by talking so much to him over the years that I picked up a lot of those habits and i came back to chicago and my other says man you talk funny <laughs> <laughs> what what they do to you over there <laughs> and said, ah. i said what do you mean <laughs> and they started paying attention to myself like oh yeah okay but uh i know i didn't have a hard time giving it up <laughs> so those the, the 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 accent the dialect you know there it's it's fine um but we do need to think about pronunciation to a degree when it inhibits intelligibility. So I, I guess basically what I'm saying is why bother teaching pronunciation? <clears throat> it would be because, how do I say, <laughs> um, before some of those pragmatic elements can even come into play of, of um, giving that speech, that presentation, those slides, whatever you're teaching, if the communication, if the pronunciation is bad enough that it prevents intelligibility, you you failed in your communication. You're you're not going to get past bad pronunciation. I mean, it's fundamental. No, and, no, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. I mean, if if the uh... The student is trying to is saying something, but mm. uh, you 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 I um, who have more experience with common mistakes and so forth. If we can't figure out what it is that they're saying, mm. obviously there's a pronunciation problem that needs to get tackled, or probably is several. Mm. <laughs> it's a, probably several that, so, that need addressing. Sure. So that's kind of why I think pronunciation direct pronunciation teaching fundamental basics is actually important and uh, maybe not to every class um, but certainly um, to some so the interlanguage of of the japanese right i mean it's a monolingual island nation there it's e f l it is certainly not e s l <laughs> they're not getting uh, much native input and the few motivated ones might be but for the most part not um and and here in the japanese system pronunciation what you're talking about also that listening that is so important uh it's aggravated where english education focuses on basically listening and reading tests like toic and toefl and that listening is really just by you know standard speakers and it's the education is not focused on actual real communication, um, even amongst themselves. And another thing in Japan that's kind of special here is their use of furigana, or the Japanese script, especially with the younger students, elementary school, junior high school, and even in high school. The use of the Japanese script to, to be the base of how to pronounce the English words. And the furigana or katakana have a consonant vowel, usually, for the most part, consonant vowel pairs, which we just, we don't have that standard in English. We have consonant, consonant vowel (laughs) um, things. And that's really, really inhibits. And that, that just gets, sorry, um, the Japanese, their interlanguage is more problematic than, for example, Italians, who also have the superfluous vowels. Um, ah, it's just a little different. Yeah, and the, the, well, I think the, the 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 Italian sounds. There are more Italian sounds. There are more sounds in the Italian language, 
and the ones that are are more similar to English than Japanese. Mm. The Japanese sounds are so limited, and um, uh, I don't. I, there have been studies. I have. Not, I can't quote you any right now, but I just read a couple of books about um, brain and brain oh, yeah, yeah. Plast, mm-hmm. neuroplasticity and, and mm-hmm. so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. And talking about language, where uh, as a child up until the age of about five or six, the, there's one part of the brain where the, the language uh, is uh, learned. Mm-hmm. And at about the age of five or six, it, it, it becomes less and less open yeah. to new things. And if you yeah. learn a second language after that, the, the, the language is learned in a, a spot adjacent to that language center, oh. but it's different, but it's different. And so when the child is young, those paths can be um, made fairly easily. Mm. But when you're learning the second language, they become harder. And mm. when so many of the new things, new sounds, new ways that we've got to move our mouth and lips and tongue, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be much harder to make that leap from our first language, if it's a lim- one with limited sounds like Japanese, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. English or more French yeah. or you know, whatever it's got more. So th- th- you're going to have to really learn those new sounds in a, in a very different way, in a, in, a, in a way that's more difficult. Mm. So, yeah, no surprise. <laughs> right. So the, the, the tongue, though, the mouth... Those are just muscles. So yes, and they can be trained. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so those can be trained. You know, like tennis or whatever. The piano, you can train those muscles. But the ear, that listening, and and that communication, that pronunciation is both. So production of the sound. Okay, that takes training if you want to do it. If it's even important. But yeah, that ear, that listening that is definitely going to be problematic. And one of those um, studies that, that we all kind of, we studied when we were doing our, our graduate degrees, the Lennonberg's, the critical period hypothesis. Um, and it's even a little bit, mm, it was from the 1960s, late 60s. So you're talking about neuroplasticity. All of that new neuroscience is just neurolinguistics. It's fascinating. I didn't, read any of those wonderful books that you have that I want to read. (laughs) But for me, that critical period hypothesis taught me that, you know, after, after I'm a teenager, I ain't going to learn no more. And um, those kinds of things are being found not to be necessarily true. So if there's a part of the brain that's maybe adjacent and we can learn in new ways, those are definitely things that we as educators who might have learned these now rather outdated concepts, yeah, maybe let's do a little bit more research. Um, there's so much new stuff out there. Um, oh, it was just, yeah, the things that I was reading about the pointer, it's amazing how it can remap itself to yeah. other things where you can actually feel sounds and you can, you know, and again, seeing with your mm-hmm. fingertips mm-hmm. Um, with sensors on in, in different places. Yeah. But um, in terms of, um, yeah, and, and the language, language as well, yeah, it's, it's, it's very possible. But no matter what, um, Swan and Smith, who are, you know, big grammar people and whatever, they always, they, they say, and I still do believe that that student or the, the learner will, they, they have their sound inventory, what you were just talking about, what they learned up until the age of five or whatever that age might be. And those rules from their L1, the combining of the sounds, whether they have stress, their intonation patterns, um, all of those things, that can interfere with learning uh, pronunciation of a language or that can also transfer, as we know, like Hindi, English, um, as a certain rhythm <laughs> and it's it's um hard to hard to shake that uh, you were talking about sounds can i um can i give the audience a little quiz yes okay audience quiz everybody think about what is the most used sound or phoneme individual single sound in english the single one sound in english so I was always taught, you know, Encyclopedia Brown or Sherlock Holmes or somebody, I, I was taught that when you're deciphering something, look for the E's. E's, the letter, the alphabet letter, E is the most common letter in English and try starting with that. 
So yeah, kind of similar. Scrabble. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so this is not the letter, but sound. Any ideas? Well, I know, so I'm not going to answer. You oh. told me. <laughs> well, yeah, but did you know before? <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> okay. All right. It's schwa, which we actually don't have the letter schwa. And it's the sound, uh, uh. What? That's a sound? Yeah, like but or uh, instigation, shun, that uh, uh, where the there is actually no movement in the mouth. We just drop the jaw and kind of uh, <laughs> say, a, say a vowel sound. Um, and there's no letter that matches that, but it is so significant in the English language and that most people, I, I often ask that question of English teachers around the world, and they often don't know what that answer is. And yet it's critical. So, hmm, I think that's something that should be known. Every English teacher should know that answer. Well, now our listeners know. Now we all know. <laughs> now I know too. <laughs> Okay, so um, I <clears throat> you'll you'll disagree, I think, but um, yeah, and I think that's important maybe for teachers to know. But I think it's maybe um, one of those things that again I said it before, and you, you, you it was like nails on a on a blackboard for you. Those are the things that students will pick up on their own. I won't say naturally, but pick up on their own as they talk faster. Just the way, for example, when learning Japanese at a certain point, and I never learn, you know, never look at this in the classroom, when you make the transition from like de wa to ja. Or when you abbreviate atatakai to atakai in, in conversation. Mm -hmm. And uh, because, and I don't know for me, because I learn it in a casual context, I wouldn't think about doing, using those in a formal context. Um, but, those things I wouldn't expect to be learning in a Japanese classroom. I'd rather have that Japanese classroom with some of the more um, meta issues. Like, for example, when do I use daru? When do I use aru? When do I use arimasen? When do I use des? Please explain, sensei. <laughs> right, and I'll that's grammar. Out the, I'll, fi I'll figure out the adakai myself. Mm, yes. And that's kind of like what I'm saying it with um, we talk about you know the teaching of it. It's like hmm, if I'm if I'm not saying it clearly enough, for you to understand what I'm asking. Then yes, please let's fix that. But the, the schwa, I don't know how much how much of my class time should I devote to students. But maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here. But well, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and and I don't disagree. Especially again, we are bound by this. Mm -hmm educational environment of, for most of us native speakers, um, Japanese listeners might have a different uh, experience. But for you and I, we get our students usually 90 minutes once a week. We do not have time. Mm -hmm. But in a word like institution, and they're saying institution, shown, mm. because they don't <laughs> have the schwa. And uh, I mean, even for, again, so... I understand why they don't know it because there is no letter that matches it. Yeah, and you got that O there. Well, you have an I and an O, <laughs> Eon. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, but the fact that it is the most frequent sound in yeah. English and they don't, they have no knowledge of it. And most yep, of the yep, teachers yep. don't know that either. I'm saying that that's getting to be a little problematic. That's that's what I call an indicator. <laughs> and we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but... Mm. Mm. So what else? So what else should we be teaching? Well, okay. Basically, we need to first understand what pronunciation is. And again, I'm not advocating we have to teach pronunciation in every class, blah, blah, blah. But... If we are going to be doing it, we need to understand what it is a little bit. And pronunciation is usually broken down into three different levels. There's that sound level, uh, the LR, 
the voiced or the voiceless. And okay, yeah, that's one level. Uh, but then we also have the word level, and that's like record or record, and that's the word stress, right, within the word. Uh, and that also um, includes compound noun stress, for example, a greenhouse versus a green house. Okay, mm, students, some students know some compound stress. Um, they might have memorized it, but there are rules for these things. Why not teach the rule instead of students memorizing a list? If you learn the rule, you can predict it. You can become an autonomous learner. Uh, memorizing a list, mm, that I feel just makes it harder. So, all right, you've got the sound level, mm, word level, mm, but where most communication fails is at the sentence level. And again, those supra-segmentals. That's things like main stress, which is usually the final content word. Um, that's intonation, etc. Traditional memo, uh, <laughs> memos, traditional methods uh, used to just drill discrete items, right? I mean, I've, I've done that myself trying to learn the Japanese dyo. It's too hard to pronounce. <laughs> but that's long given away. You know, in the 70s and 80s, methods that focus more on how pronunciation affects communication at the discourse level is now what we're talking about. And again, what inhibits intelligibility? So nowadays, the study of pronunciation is actually the perception, the production and prediction of both the segmentals, those, those phonemes, the sounds, and their interaction with those supra-segmentals found in natural speech. And that would be specifically like the rhythm. That's the most important. Um, stress, length of, of vowels you were talking about, the intonation, syllabification, tone. And all of those things interact to create meaning. And if our students aren't getting that intonation correct, the meaning fails. Does that, do you agree? Yeah. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> Comments? No, no, no. Keep going. Oh, Keep yeah. Going. I don't want to get on my soapbox more than I already am. Oh, yes, I do. Let me go. All right. So, again, we, we, we um, don't have a lot of class time. Um, but again, we need to not maybe focus too much on those sound level phonemes. I mean, we can a little bit. It's fast. It's easy, maybe. But we need to make sure that the students understand where the communicative problems are. So, for example, if you have L and R, light and right, uh, we can understand from context, usually. Turn left at the light. Turn left at the right. Uh, we're going to figure that out. That's not a problem. More important might be choice intonation, and especially for the Japanese. This is very problematic. Would you like coffee or tea? Would you like coffee or tea? Those have two different meanings. And students don't generally understand that that's even a choice. Can you hear that difference? Would you like coffee or tea? Would you like coffee or tea? You can hear that, Tony, right? Yeah, of course. Do you understand what the difference might be? Yes, of course. So, but um, mm -hmm. for, for, our, but for our students, mm -hmm. before I would actually get to the pronunciation, I would approach it initially from, more from the structural level. Because in Japanese, those two questions would be asked in a very different way. But they're and not the, speaking Japanese. No, but no, but they're but they're thinking, they're thinking, and they don't know which one. They they, they have two different questions, and it's it's like asking it one way. So they need to understand that the way that in English we differentiate between question A and question B. It looks like the same. It looks like the same question in English. It's, well, the, the way that we differentiate it is by this mm. change in in intonation. Right. Right, and that is my point. Yeah, and, I know. And so, I know, but I, I would, I would yeah. start it from the other end. Okay, okay. Uh, and I, maybe I just wrap around to it. 
Um, because, mm-hmm. but that is basically the point: is that the if you have you end with the up intonation, that's your open choice, and that means I have coffee or tea or milk or whiskey. And if it's a closed, if it, the intonation is down, would you like coffee or tea? Closed choice. Those are my only two choices. And just again, getting the students aware of those kinds of communicative issues. Maybe they can't pronounce it, but I would say that even that little thing, coffee or tea, they can't well, that's even- That's an important one. Yeah. Well, they can't even hear that it's a choice and why not? Right. Because of two natural speech phenomenon. And when we say, would you like coffee or tea? That or becomes- reduced to that schwa, that all-important schwa, schwa. (laughs) Coffee or becomes coffee er. And then you link the two two vowels, the coffee er, vowel, vowel. You link that together, coffee er, tea. And they don't recognize that as discrete words, understandably so. So it's not just intonation. It's, it's, they need to know what a schwa is. They need to recognize that this might be something else. And yeah, again, I would like this is one of those cases that really you have to kind of start off with the, make sure that they're hearing it. Exactly. Exactly. Because right? exactly. it's, it's a myth that, you know, that the Japanese students um, can, their hearing is fine, but they just can't speak. I said, no, that's <laughs> really, no. it's not uh, true. And, and understandably so. They, they can read, but they can't write. They go, no, that's not really true. They can't read either. <laughs> um, but <laughs> not really read, right? They can translate, but they yeah. can't read. Um, but, uh, yeah. And this like first being in, have to really train them to actually hear that mm-hmm. and then go into the intonation and, and, and thing, then have them actually speak it. Mm. And that's just one example out of a bazillion that I might have, but. Yeah. It's an important one. That's That's a very important one to, to get under into them somehow. Hmm. But but again, just the example of how that communication, that meaning changes. And also it exemplifies um, not just that sound level, but that suprasegmental, that sentence level um, that tends to cause a little bit more of those communication problems, according to the research. So, but I'm our time is coming to a close, so... Uh, I don't want to go on too much. Well, um, you have to, I think, give us some um, some helps exactly. Okay, so okay, you, you you persuaded us we're going to teach pronunciation. Okay, <laughs> how? Teach us how, Allison. <laughs> really? How do we do this? Yeah. Okay. Well, first, I would say get metacognitive. Kind of what you, what you were saying is like you know. Is that a drug or something? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It can be if you do it right. Oh, it's a software. <laughs> I so, want to buy a software. So teaching the students maybe not actually to produce it themselves. Um, God forbid. They don't need to know more than one agana. But they do need to be aware. Focus on that awareness. Focus on what causes communication breakdowns. Uh, like in my cornfield test, you know, what what might a native speaker somewhere in the world not understand? Uh, open and closed choice intonation. Um, contrast stress. Stress for emphasis. Tone. Tone is is tested on TOEFL. It's it's in TOEIC, and so often we don't teach what tone is, and we don't teach it either to express it. Maybe you do in your sounds like your speech classes are pretty good. I I fail in that. I don't teach my students how to um how to be tonal, huh? What? <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Um and Use maybe I effectively. There we go. <laughs> I I'll I'll do that in in the future. Um but those kinds of things again that are that uh, have meaning. Um, and these can be slipped into any kind of lesson. If you're doing a dialogue, then make sure that they are expressing themselves. They're using tone effectively. Um, after getting met- metacognitive, then make sure that you're separating into productive 
versus receptive. Okay, so again, may not need to be productive, but receptive. Use that contrastive linguistics. What do we know? Like you were talking about, what do we know about Japanese, our own studies? Um, how, you know, ipiki ni hiki. Why, why does that change? And we can apply that into teaching our students and make it more understandable for them. Um, most important, I would say, for receptive is understanding that English is a stress-based language, different than Japanese. They've got their staccata more. Watashi wa eigo no sensei desu. I know that's a little overgeneralized, but I'm an English teacher in Japan. It's different. And again, just raising a little bit of awareness. But beyond that, getting predictive, getting them to use that metacognitive awareness. They don't have to speak it because they may not be able to. We don't have time to work that tongue and, and the, the lips enough. Teach spelling rules. So vowel, consonant, consonant, for example, VCC or VC end of word. That's, that's an easy predictor for short vowels. So, for example, VCC, coffee, coffee, and VC, end of the word, hot, hot. So it's not hotto, <laughs> ko, ko, kohi. And again, there is that. Yeah, well, the, the English, the borrowed English words are the hardest. That <laughs> is hard. But again, if, they're, or if they are with Paul in Wisconsin, ordering hotokohi, it ain't going to fly. So by teaching them short vowels, which, again, short vowels, long vowels, English, Japanese, okay. <laughs> but some of these things that, 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 that can be done if you take the time, if you have a lesson that works with it. Um, but also predictive. So spelling rules can be done on paper. Super segmentals, things like linking, trimming, blending, vowel reduction, those can also be done on paper. You don't have to pronounce it. Now, I do in my class to a small degree just because, again, they're going abroad. I don't do much of it, but a little bit. And and another thing, don't use like words like elision. Like, what? What is elision? <laughs> well, trimming, cutting. You snip a little bit. Keep it easy so that they're not learning new words because uh, the new words will inhibit them from learning. Similarly, don't teach IPA unless they already know it, right? I mean, mm. IPA is wonderfully more specific, but just use a simple alphabet. <laughs> they don't need anything more to learn. Um, I had to take phonetics when I was a kid. I've taught phonetics to, to young learners here in Japan using the basic phonetic type of alphabet that, that we teach native kids is fantastic. Um, very doable. And again, all predictive, it's all metacognitive. Um, I would say also absolutely teaching basic stress rules. Um, that final main stress, where is that intonation? We already know. But it's more important, it's imperative, in fact, to teach rhythm. That is the number one communication problem to Japanese, I would say. Um, I'm not biased, my paper, <clears throat> but <laughs> rhythm, which is the wave between stressed and unstressed uh, words. It's important to teach which words are stressed. So content words, nouns, verbs, adjectives, adverbs, question words, words with not, um, don't, can't, never, you know, things, things that have meaning get stressed. All the other words become unstressed. And if they're unstressed, hello schwa, there's that schwa. Schwa is half of our language. They really need to know what that is and to make sure that it's not full vowels on every single syllable like they have in Japanese. Those would be my main things. Is that enough? 
Um, <laughs> it's rather a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. I have to maybe add a couple of things that I do. Absolutely. Um, so for the, talking about the intonation and the stress, what I uh, use d a lot <laughs> was um, from real material, te television shows, movies, and mm. have them, you know, show them in sh short clips and have the script and have them choose or and or and I would dictate sometimes you know, choose for them um specific lines that so they could practice those things so they can practice reenact the scenes um and then they have the visual the understanding of the, of the context the social context mm -hmm. got the visual and then they've got like how the um intonation and things change so for example the great contrast like, well, like for example in one of this poems from Ally McBeal which I used at a women's university mm -hmm. where uh, Ally and George like I really hate you mm -hmm. I really hate you too that contrast <laughs> and they stress. loved it they loved it cuz <laughs> they're, they're watching it and they, you know of course they've got the jimaku and you know it's like okay now <laughs> and and they learn how to say it and I heard it all Excellent. the time I hate you thank you <laughs> <laughs> But um, things things like that, um, uh, a lot of, and again, it, it come, joins with the listening part. So they've got the listening, they've got mm. the audio for it. Yeah. They can, and I also encourage them, even way back when, um, to use their phones to record their own voice and compare it to the original ah. uh, so that they can go back and forth. So, and also using the phones um, with the dictation function. Yeah. Mm. It's very, very difficult. And then that's dangerous, though. And you have to warn oh. them because, one, it's a very, very severe uh, test. And two, um, you can make the phone type exactly what you're saying, but what you're saying may not sound natural at all. <laughs> yeah, that might go more so, to that so, phonemic. Yeah, so you want maybe like a... Like a uh, maybe for an advanced student or like to do the reverse, have, have like, for example, the, the text... The speech recognition thing has gotten the text recognition has gotten text to speech has gotten so good mm. that um, you can have you know like they they, they call it all Siri. If uh, you could have the computer read the paragraph to them and have them, it's actually good enough for them to mimic the computer's uh, ah. speech. Even even with the intonation now, I think it, it's pretty much good enough. So those kinds of things make it more mm. accessible, make it easier. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Maybe maybe more fun, more likely for them to do it, mm. uh, and uh, but yeah, I enjoyed the uh, now, and for like for example, when I was doing the speech and the presentation, and with the uh, um, intonation and stress, um, used lots of um, you know, of course some TED talks, but um, all the other great speakers, right? Like so, like Michelle Obama. Your your um, students are so far above mine, though. My my yeah. couldn't listen to a TED talk mm. to save themselves. Mm. But yeah, Michelle Obama. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's okay. But like you know, other speech and like, um, uh, Thunberg, Greta Thunberg, Thunberg, Thunberg. Yeah, the the. And her, she's a she, good she, example of a non-native. And that speaker. was why I was so insp inspirational, right? She's a high yeah. school student, and she's not a native speaker, and she's changing mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so I used a lot of that. That's good. Uh, just a regular, just a voice dictation, like in class is really nice. Uh, a, a sentence from the dialogue that will be later in the unit or something, but making sure that instead of sounding like a robot, so they get every word sure. that you're adding exactly. the that natural speech phenomenon um, and maybe speed it up fast on purpose Again, just for that awareness, it can be kind of a, a, a game even, you know, let them check out their answers with their friends. Did you hear that? I didn't get that. What? Music, of course. Music is amazing. So not just DVDs and stuff, but um, music, doing a close. Um, there are, I, I can't talk Oh, for listening, I use for it listening. All, 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 the time. Yeah. all the time. Yeah, for listening, my listening classes and my regular communication class all the time and and for time. like lower level you know it, it, you can even put two words and, and which word you know circle the word that you heard is yep. it bad or bag you know and, and that makes it fun um i also enjoy because i'm in business i do thought group intonation so the difference between country code 30 one two three four five six seven versus Country code 31, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. 
telephone numbers, the, the first one, that's the Greece country code is 30. If you say 31 and you don't make that pause, you're now calling the Netherlands. Um, things like that that are that are realistic and real life. Again, just, you know, it's, it's certainly that, that, that takes three minutes in class. You know, you can practice it once in a listening on your quiz or something. And it raises that awareness. That's all I'm trying to say. We don't need to have a, a dedicated class. Um, but I think that historically, uh, especially in Japan, pronunciation has been overlooked um, and kind of underrated. And just a little bit more might be nice. Maybe. I have, I have one last question for mm -hmm, you. Mm -hmm. Um and it's one of the things, and, and maybe it's one of the reasons why I don't focus on pronunciation as much as others. Um, I have a hard time deciding when to correct. No. Huh. Um, because one of the basics in my in my classes from the very beginning is I really encourage them to make mistakes. Oh, me too. Don't Absolutely. be afraid to make mistakes. Yes. And then if we, we get into pronunciation, then all I'm doing is correcting mistakes. Well. I mean, that, that's not true. But yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. starts, it's really easy to fall into that. It's like, no, 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 you're, because if, you know, if they're doing it great, you say, okay, you're doing it great. But it's like, it's like, no, it's this, it's not that. And so, yeah, so um, I had a very capable student uh, she lived in a number of countries growing up, and uh, Russia, Toronto. <laughs> she, mm. was, you know, she was in Moscow. She was in Toronto. She was in, somewhere in the U.S. I can't remember exactly where, but um, she'd pronounce when we, you know, and we'd just talk, right? Mm -hmm. But she would say "mother," but she would say "mutter." Mm -hmm. oh, so the th became one for Japanese. Uh -huh. Right, and I says, "Okay," and it's like, "Well, we're had." Now today? No, not today. Next time. No, no. Next. Time. I just I never can figure out the best time and the and the best way to correct mm. a pronunciation problem because it's certainly mm. not in, impairing the you know understanding. I know exactly what she's saying, but her rest of her English is so good that really we, we should we need to fix that. But well, I don't know when the best time to do that. Yeah, is, certainly in in any circumstance with any aspect of learning overcorrection is absolutely inhibiting <laughs> and especially mm -hmm, during mm -hmm. the communication. And if, yeah, as you said, I, I would also say that if it's not interfering with the understanding, then maybe it doesn't need to be corrected. If she is so high, then maybe just, okay, if maybe I'm by her, you know, in, in a breakout room with her and just say, you know, sweetie, um, you might want to just consider this one thing. Are you aware of it? She might not be aware of it. She might be aware of it. Um, and again, that identity, or she just doesn't have the, the will to change. And again, ascertaining that awareness is half of, half of the, yeah. the issue. Yeah. Well, yeah. With her, no identity wasn't an issue, but I, what I, what I did do though, mm -hmm. is I try when I, whenever I heard it, I tried to repeat the yes. sentence, but with the correct pronunciation. But if it's an entire sentence versus the word mudda, she's not going to catch the, the d in the middle of the sentence. You want, I, I feel, I would repeat the actual, like, the, the single word. So often, again, because I'm about the katakana ego, you know, it's like ando, ando. And I often joke, I'm like, who's ando? Because ando is a Japanese last name. So I'll, I'll say it in front of the whole class, not to pinpoint the student but you know kind of make a joke out of it oh andokun nah he's not here today um and if it if it's if it's a group well, a lower level but again it's changing they're getting so much better if it's a lower level then i will say that in class and maybe sometimes i'll just like pick a day and I'll just mm -hmm. like, when they're practicing, they're in their groups. It's not, they're not in front of the class. But every time I hear something, I'll just go, ando, next door. And, and make it a joke. But I, I do that very rarely. Um, hmm. And I, I have a, a student whose father is Canadian. And she has the worst katakana of the entire, <laughs> of my entire program. 
And I'm like, darling, She's doing it on purpose, huh? why you? And I, and I actually haven't spoken to her about it, but, um, She's she's trying to fly under the radar. I'm I'm wondering. So, I'm again that identity, and she may just not want to change. Um, and you know, maybe in ten years, when she, I don't want to sound nasty, but when she grows up a bit, when she gets a little bit older, and wherever she's using her English differently, yeah, maybe then she'll correct it. But yeah, it, I don't know that there needs to be a lot of correction. But that. Cornfield test, if if the students might possibly be going out in the future, it kind of does a disservice not to, you know, not to at least make them aware on some level. So, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I also have a hard time with thinking about, you know, pronunciation and, and correction. Hmm. When uh, uh, a, a student's English. It's, well, it's kind of all over the place. It's not. It's not Australian. It's not British. It's not American. It's, it's just kind of something. And um, like mine, sometimes you you laugh at me with my <laughs> progress and processes. <laughs> I don't have problems correcting you. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. But uh, when it's like, for example, the, the sentence sounds kind of like North American English, but there's a a word in there that um, mm. sounds like British English. And is that, mm, what do I do? I can't say it's wrong. Like the, no. for other, whatever it is, like like hat, right? Mm-hmm. And it just comes out as hot. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, uh, I can't say it's wrong. Globalization. Um, yeah, I can't say it's wrong. Or like, you know, like wata. World Englishes. <laughs> yeah. Um, on that time, like accents and dialogue, maybe, maybe dialects would maybe finish this off. I remember also back to my, this is before I came to Japan, and I was uh, in a Japanese language class back at the University of Illinois. And uh, our uh, main teacher was a uh, tiny, very intimidating little old lady from Tokyo. And she was vicious, especially if, you, especially if you were Korean. Oh. There were a lot of Koreans in my class because, you know, they need a foreign language and Japanese is easy. Yeah. So, so there were a lot of Koreans in class. And then there was me and there's like another couple of Hakujin and stuff. So they're not, and there's like maybe maybe a couple of Nisei in there as well. Uh, and uh, the TA, however, was from Osaka. And I can't remember what it was that she taught us. But she, well, she taught us something. And then in class, a bunch of us started saying this, which obviously was Kansai Ben. What the what TA the taught you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And oh, my God, Uh-oh. the next time oh. the, 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 the teacher made a point to do it in front of the class, which was just awful. And um, yeah. you know how ugly it can get. And that, that poor TA, she was just wilting i don't know she was must have been she might have been crying but very very close to tears oh but it's just like really laying into her about you know i don't again it was all in japanese but you heard I, you could hear enough <laughs> it's like did she say dirty <laughs> it was it was brutal it was brutal but um again and, and i'm sure she just did it Un- unconsciously, right? She didn't really think that, sure. as you do when you grow up. Like I grew up, and I, I, it's English to me. I don't realize that. Oh, this is like this is specific to the Midwest and the United States. And we've got like all kinds of words, like for water fountains, bubblers, sprinklers. Um, they all refer to the same thing. And the, the space that you walk hmm. along between houses, right. you know, we, we call it. It's a sidewalk. Uh huh. <laughs> Walkway. Hmm. Walk. Mm. Um, and in different parts, and you know, and and, and a highway, the 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 part in the middle, the highway is median. Other people the call boulevard? it different things. No, the divided highway, interstate. Uh huh. And the boulevard's another one. The boulevard's a street. Then you've got like the, the 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 land on the side and the land on the middle. And each part of the country has all different names for all these things. Yeah, I'm confused. And if you grow up in one area. <laughs> You you don't know the names for right. these things, <laughs> and so you know you can have a kid in class who like maybe you know spent the summer in Atlanta, comes back and so yeah, it's like 
the hell are you talking about? That's not <laughs> that's not a this. That's a, that's not a sprinkler. That's a water fountain. A and sprinkler? No, a sprinkler is when you water your grass. Yeah, and that's ah. actually a very good point for not teaching something like your. I mean, any one person's idiosyncratic British or American English per se. A lot of times you don't know. You don't know. And you <laughs> like don't know where TA. the student is going to go or whatever. So, again, not not the strict teaching, but the, you know, uh, certainly appropriate and, as always, everything in moderation. Including moderation. But, mm. Well, thank you for letting me have my little soapbox moment. <laughs> Jeremiah, huh? I really appreciate it. Mm. There, there's a lot more to talk about, though. Yeah, I think maybe this maybe is going to be a part one. I'll, I, 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 I can't promise that, but I will discuss it with Charles. I, I lot think of, yeah, there are a lot of stuff. Yeah, got. yeah. The, the, returning, returns coming back with funny mm. accents. Yeah, this is brass um, tacks kind of stuff, but there are a lot yeah. more issues. Um, I would be very curious what Charles would have to say, and you. And, you know, you talk about your um, un- unintelligibility, right? But, like, you know, like, like my, one of the things that I used for my class is like, my cousin Vinny. Oh, God. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, for people who haven't seen the movie, it's a, a couple of New, a New Jersey teenagers go down south. They're going to college. Uh, and uh, they get uh, mistaken, mistaken identity. They end up in jail and in court. And uh, their cousin from New Jersey comes down as their lawyer and you've got the battle of the Englishes. You've got the really, really heavy um, New Jersey Italian English versus the very, very heavy South uh, English accent, Southern United States accent. And boy, oh boy, that's a it's a lot of fun. And the kids, the kids love it too, right? Can they understand it with the t- subtitles? Oh, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> and and explanation and explanation. Uh, yeah. And you know, you know, my fair lady also. You talk oh, about why yeah. why teach pronunciation, right? He lays it out in the first scene, right? Yeah. He says that's what separates the classes. Well, it's and that's, pronunciation. That's why my students coming back with one and gonna. That's not a pretty mm-hmm. look. That's not a good thing, and they need to learn that before they get caught out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's my Elisa impersonation. <laughs> yeah, go on, governor. <laughs> All right. So there we are. There we are. Life okay. Up. Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you. And uh, I hope we, we all learned something from this. At least uh, get our heads around and learn how to Schwa. think different ways about how to uh, have our students have better pronunciation. Mm. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. And as always, we're at uh, Two Teachers Talking, dot, 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 everywhere, everywhere. Okay, so um, stay cool, Allison. Oh, yeah, going to be inside enjoy, today. Enjoy that high flex. <laughs> Thanks. Ciao.